Welcome. It's good to see everybody this morning. I, uh, I'm going to excuse myself a little bit here and hopefully set your expectations maybe a little bit lower than you might have them. I was awake far more than I was asleep last night, and um, I am exhausted. I am just tired. So I am going to uh, I'm going to go through this, and, and, and we're going to have a, a great chat, but um, we are also uh, hopefully going to get out of here maybe a little earlier than we would normally. Um, first off, I, want, I, I just want to reiterate what Steve was saying uh, about Pastor Aaron. Um, man, he wants to be here so bad, and his heart is literally breaking every single day that they don't have an offer on their house. And uh, for some of you guys who've sold houses before, uh, I'm, you know what that's like to go through when you need to move and you can't move and you can't get anywhere. Um, so just so you guys are aware, um, Pastor Aaron and Steve and Gordon and I have been coming up with a contingency plan on the off chance that he's not able to be here on the scheduled first Sunday, which is supposed to be October 8th. Um, and, uh, and we will work with him, and, and we will make sure that there is service and that it, that it goes well. Uh, but at the same time, the, the, uh, the more you guys are in prayer, I think the more quickly God will move uh, to bring Aaron here. And we definitely want him and his, his whole family to be able to come. So uh, keep him in your prayers. Um, yeah. Uh, I would like to start this morning with a very brief prayer, and, uh, and then we'll just get right into it. And uh, All right. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time we can come together and that we can try to, to learn from your word. Lord, it is the only true wisdom that we have. It is truth. It is you revealed. And so, Lord, we just ask that you would ignite the word in our hearts, that you would, that you would speak to us through your word, not through me, but through what you want to communicate. Lord, I just ask that you would bless the hearers. Um, and that you would just touch this congregation as a congregation. I just pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So just right off the bat, my style is totally different from, um, from most other uh, that we've had speak in the pulpit. And um, so I'm going to not apologize for that because I happen to like my style. I'm a teacher, right? Uh, teaching is what I prefer. I'm not a preacher in the sense of an expositional preacher, uh, which is really interesting because I judge and hold just about every pastor to this standard that exists in my head that probably isn't reality, that they ought to be expositional preachers, that they ought to come to the word and just lay the entire word out and they just, to just pour, right? And, and I'm, and I'm like, and that's why I'm not a pastor because I could never do that. Um, but I am a teacher and, uh, and I think a teacher is somebody who, who takes something that may be complicated or complex and tries to break it down so that people can understand it. And um, it also has a respect for um, people who are better than me who study, right? And so I'm, I'm really big into reading other wise people uh, and talking to other wise people, especially about the word, because I know I don't know everything. Shoot, I don't know anything, right? Um, and, and so I want to start with um, this morning, that's going to be a little bit different. So the upside for you guys is... As you have a question, raise your hand, because I'm a teacher, right? And I want your question. And if you have a question, we'll deal with that. Um, if you don't have questions or you don't feel comfortable doing that right here, right now, that's fine. This still may cause questions. And if it does, I want you to ask me, if it, even if it's after the service. Um, and we'll, 
we'll get to it. All right, life together. Life together. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. That right there is the, the summation of where I'm going today. Uh, and so we're just going to start out right that. Um, God laid on my heart for us that community is something of critical importance, understanding community and understanding what it is. Um, and so we're going to get to real community. Now, real community is what? Well, I don't know. But God's word does, right? So we're going to start writing God's word. I want you to go ahead and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, if you have an actual Bible. If you don't, it will be displayed up here. Uh, we're going to read for a little bit because, again, I'm a teacher. So, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. The inherit inheritance is kept for you in heaven, uh, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation, and that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you have, um, you have had to suffer griefs of all kinds and, uh, and of all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of souls. And now, therefore, with your minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires that you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as you who are called, or just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. And now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishables, through the living and enduring word of God. All people are like grass, and their glory is like the flowers of the field, and the grass withers, and the flowers fall. But the word of the Lord endures forever. Good word, right? Really good word. Now, how many of you heard community in there? That's what I thought. There's only one verse that really jumps out as community, right? It's, it's the part where it says, love one another deeply from the heart, right? Is that it? No. No, it's not. Not even close. Let's go back to the very first slide, Jonathan, if you wouldn't mind. We're just going to do this very briefly. I would like to point out to you that every single reference to us, you, we, is corporate. It's the entire church. It is everybody who has ever believed or ever will believe. It is not you, the individual. And that 
is critical. Grace and peace to you. Praise be to God and Father, because he has given us new birth. Us, new birth. We are already a community. We are already a community. Whether you take part in it or not, you're already in it. So let's take a look. Um, so, Jonathan, I'm not sure what slide number this is. I'm sorry to do this to you. Um, the one that says Living Stone. Just one page over in 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2. We read um, a couple more. There we go. As you, corporate you, come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, see it, plural, living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. That is not you, the individual, again. That is you, the community. You are necessary to each other. You integrate into and with each other to create a structural spiritual house. I'm in real estate. I look at houses all day, every day for my job. That's what I do. You know what I don't see? Studs. I don't see them, right? But they're absolutely integral to the house. No stud, no house. More than that, oftentimes I don't even see a foundation because a lot of them you can't see the foundation. It's underground, right? Who is our foundation? Our foundation is Jesus. And we are built upon him as a spiritual house, a house of healing, a house of safety, a house of security. We are that. We are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices accountable to God through Jesus Christ. For in the scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, the stone is precious. But to those who not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not, or because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people. People. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. His special possession. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The people have received mercy. Hugely important. Jonathan, go ahead and move forward with me one more. Um, you guys know 1 Corinthians 12. We have preached on it over and over again. I'm just going to go with the first section, though the entire 12 through 27 is here. There is one body, but it has many parts. But all its many parts make up one body. The same is with Christ. We are all baptized by one Holy Spirit, and we are all formed into one body. It didn't matter whether we were Jew or Gentile, slave or free. We were all given the same spirit to drink. So the body is not made up 
of just one part, it has many parts. Jumping all the way to verse 27, you are the body of Christ. Each one of you has a part in it. Now, I remember when I was uh, growing up in church, I used to like to think that I had heard just about every kind of sermon that was out there. I've grown up in church and then went to Bible school, so I think I probably heard the entire Bible preached, right? I, 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 and I'm sure, you know, I mean, we can say in this group, we who have been here for a long time have probably heard every part preached. Um, but again, I, I, I think it's the conversations that we have with people, and it's reading and studying people who are um, different than us, who have different perspective than us. Um, they actually kind of help drive us to new insights and new conclusions. Um, Speaking with elders and pastors, I have heard new things. And it's interesting to me because it comes in the speaking. It doesn't necessarily come in the Sunday setting. And Sunday is kind of a, um, it's a really formal thing, right? And we have this routine and we have, a, we have an order of service and we, we do what we do. Um, but, but when we actually talk with each other, the things that we can learn and the things that we can grow with... Um, I spend a lot of time talking with my brother. And I don't know how many of you know my brother. I know that section over there knows my brother really well because that's my people. Um, but <laughs> some of you may know my brother and some of you may not. My brother is a six-foot-six giant rugby player. He's absolutely massive. Uh, he's all tatted up because he was in a rock band for a long time. Uh, and now, because he's awesome, he's studying for his Ph.D. in theology from Bible Belfast, uh, or Belfast Bible, I'm backward, uh, which is a Queen's College, which is basically Oxford, but in Ireland. It's amazing, right? Super smart. And he's actually studying theology. He's studying Dietrich Bonhoeffer in particular. And um, so he and I were talking the other day. We were actually talking about this particular Sunday. And I said, look, I think God's put on my heart community. And he goes, oh, great. Have you read Life Together? And I went, huh? And he goes, oh, come on. You're kidding me. All this time, I've been studying Bonhoeffer, and you're telling me you've never read Life Together. What is Life Together? And he goes, well, it's Bonhoeffer's, one of his early works, and it's one of the most important ones, actually. Um, And so I'm going to ask you guys, have you guys heard of Bonhoeffer? Have you read him? I'm in your camp. Right? Well, I was in your camp, and then I decided I was going to read this work. So, uh, for those of you who don't know Bonhoeffer, I'm going to give a little bit of a brief introduction into who Dietrich Bonhoeffer was and why it's important. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer is this very interesting man in, in uh, evangelical history. Uh, he was a classic Lutheran, uh, grew up in the, um, the German church, and, and this was the German church pre-Nazi, Okay. Uh, at the age of 17, he was already a decided theologian. Now think about that, that Thielen, theologian, right? <laughs> Not yet, right? So at 17, he's a theologian. At the age of 21, he graduates with his Ph.D. already. Now, I think my brother's smart, but he's almost 40 and working on a Ph.D. 21's pretty crazy. At the age of 24, he actually qualified to teach at Berlin's university. That's a big deal because all PhDs in the entire world came from Germany up until the 1930s. So to be a teacher at a university like Berlin, it's a big deal. This guy's super heady, super smart. But he realizes very quickly that he's not built for academic life because he loves the church. Academia is great, but the church is what God's called him to. And so he, uh, he begins to take part in trying to teach Uh, pastors and seminarians how to be better pastors. And about that same time, Hitler rises to power. And one of the things Hitler does almost immediately is he takes over the German church because the German church was a state-sponsored church. 
We have separation of church and state in the United States, which is great. Germany didn't. If you were a part of a church in Germany, you were a part of the German church, which had been taken over by Nazis. Okay? And so they didn't actually believe anymore in the divinity of Jesus or the truth of the gospel. And so he, Bonhoeffer, was a part of a, a series of events that took place where um, he came out against the German church, which was kind of a dangerous thing to do when the Nazis are in power, right? Uh, he supports or, or signs on to two different declarations, and then he supports the Barman Declaration, which is an absolute declaration of independence from the Third Reich. Um, he didn't sign it because there was some political things going on there. He couldn't sign it, but he supported it. And, and he actually helped to found a non-state church called the Confessing Church. And in doing so, had to leave his position with the university. And so he went to a place called Finkenwald, and he started a seminary. And the seminary was literally almost a mini-commune, okay? And so right when he started it, he wrote this, uh, wrote this book called The Cost of Discipleship, because basically his entire life is being thrown into chaos. And so he writes The Cost of Discipleship, which is this great theoretical book on all of the things that Christians should do, Right? And then he goes out to Finkenwald, and he's got these 25 guys, and he realizes as he's doing it, oh, life's maybe a little different than what I wrote about in Cost of Discipleship. So let me write a book about what's actually happening here and now, and it's called Life Together. And it literally is this collection of ideas that we live together in community, and, um, and this is how it ought to go. This is how it best works. And, and in particular, this is what it's built on, right? Um, Later on, he served in the resistance against the Third Reich, actually helping to move messages back and forth between the Allies uh, and, and German, Germany, uh, kind of acting as a kind of courier for spies, not really a spy, but kind of a courier. Uh, he was aware of a plot to assassinate Hitler and supported it, even though he was a pacifist, which was really hard for him. Um, he didn't actually take part in it, but he supported it. Um, and then later on, he was found to be smuggling Jews out, and so he was arrested by the Third Reich, and then he was actually executed by order of Heinrich Heimler in 1945, just four weeks before the end of the war. So this guy, uh, he basically lives his entire life in this time of in tremendous chaos, tremendous outward stress and pain, and he looks at it and he goes, that's okay. The church is still the church. The gospel is still the gospel. The truth is still the truth. And because of that, I'm going to encourage people to act, to believe, to do what they need to do. And so, for the most part, what I'm going to try to do today um, is give you life together, very practically. All right. Now, the first and most important aspect of life, to, uh, life together is that our community has an identity and that identity is in Christ. In Christ. That's it. There is therefore, uh, or I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come and the old has passed away. Romans 8, number 1, um, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Galatians 3.26 uh, 326 or 28, and then 4, 7. So, in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ, and you have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile nor slave nor free nor male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. 
We are in Christ. And that is the absolute first and most important thing to understand about who you are and who we are as a community. We are in Christ. We are not our old selves. We are new. We are adopted sons, daughters, and heirs. We are part of a new family. It's wonderful news to the individual. And often that's exactly how I've thought of it. I, the individual Nathan Hawk, am redeemed. I, the individual Nathan Hawk, have been set free from my sin. I, Nathan Hawk, am a child of God. Notice that there's an awful lot of I there, right? Well, that's kind of a problem. What about you? Did I think about you? I should have. But see, this is where I'm guilty of not really thinking of it in that term. I'm not, I'm not really good at thinking of what's outside of me. I'm, I'm not good at thinking of you, the redeemed, you, the child of God, you, the co-heir with Christ. We're still, I have found myself guilty of not considering myself part of a body, but as an individual in relationship with Jesus and, and forgetting that I have an integrated part in God's bigger story. We are forgiven. We together. We are set free. We together. We who believe are a part of a new family. See, that for me is a big game changer. Um, Thinking about it as family. It kind of struck me this week. I I, I refer to my brother again. Um, When we were growing up, we were five years apart. And when we were growing up, we were like oil and water. Oh, my gosh. We, were, we, we fought about everything. Uh, he could never be right. Um, I was never wrong. And, uh, and, and we, we came to blows a lot. And, and it's partly because we didn't really recognize then that we were family. We just knew we were, uh, you know, I'm I me. He's him. I don't want anything to do with him. I'm me. He's him. And I remember one time, it was actually my mom, uh, I was talking to her about how frustrated I was with Ryan. And, and she goes, you know, I, I, I can't say why God has chosen to build your family the way he built it. But you need to understand, God chose your family. You didn't choose Ryan. He didn't choose you. God chose you both for each other. I was reminded of that this week because... Here we sit. You didn't choose me. (laughs) I didn't choose you. God chose us. And he put us together. In my own little family, it's even more clear to me. Because none of my kids chose each other. Even Sid. Sid did not choose them. They did not choose him. Marissa and I did. And they had to deal with that. But because of that, they now carry an identity. They're my kids. They will always be labeled as my kids. They will always go around as a unit. People know them as my kids. Now, they, they are known individually, and they're excellent individually. But as a unit, they're, they're together as a unit. Now, obviously, the family does have its limitations because at some point they will all be launched out into their own life, and they will have their own families, and... Uh, It'll replicate itself, so obviously there's a limit there to the metaphor. But you guys get the idea. We didn't choose our family. We don't choose our siblings. What we do is we accept them. 
what we do is we work with them. And that's what I want you guys to do right now. Take a look around the room. Make eye contact. Hello, sibling. How are you? Hello, you who I don't know very well. Hello, you who I love being with. Hello, you who I try to avoid. <laughs> Hello, all of you, because you are all my brothers and sisters in Christ. And that right there is the most important thing. We are in Christ. We are only siblings because of what Christ has already done. Period. We're only here because of what he did. If there's no Jesus, there's no this. If there's no Jesus, there's no need for this. So community is a reality that already exists, not something you have to create. It's already here. All you have to decide is that you're going to participate in what God has already created and ordained. All right, so let's get practical. We're actually doing great on time. Number one, how do we do life together? First, we gather together. Gathering together is great. Gathering together is what we do right here on every Sunday morning. It's fantastic. It's what we do on Tuesday nights for prayer. Uh, it's also what we do when we get together as fellow siblings in Christ anytime. Gathering together is being a part of each other's lives. Gathering together is actually the, the practical work of doing life together. I'm going to hang out with you. You're going to hang out with me. We're going to do this together. We're going to do that together. Being together is necessary, even if you can't be physically present. My brother, as I've already mentioned, is in Ireland. And yet we talk probably two to three hours every single week because we are confidants for each other and we understand that strength and that bond, right? So even if you are not physically together, gather together. Choose togetherness with other believers. Choose it intentionally. Hebrews 10.25 says, Forsake not assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much more, as you see the day approaching. Now, number two. Read the word together. Now, Sunday morning, again, is a fantastic time to read the Word together. But it's limited, isn't it? We usually start with a verse or two, maybe a small passage. We read it. We learn about it. We spend time thinking about it here in service. But then what? See, reading the Word is actually probably the single most important thing that we can do together as a community. Why? Because the Word is the only thing, the only thing, that tells us about who we are in Jesus. Therefore, it is the only thing to tell us who we are in Jesus. We have to read the word to know how to speak to each other in times of trouble and doubt, in times of encouragement and growth. The word is our bread of life. The word is, is that living water. We give each other living bread and living water when we speak to each other the word. Bonhoeffer says the Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. And that's exactly right. Devote yourself to public reading of scripture, to preaching and teaching. The word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. 
All scripture is God-breathed, right? All of it. And it's good for teaching and rebuke and reproach and for growing up and for giving life. Literally the opportunity to breathe life to each other. And so I challenge you to read the word together, both here and when you gather in other places. Read the word. More than that, don't read just a snippet. Read lots of it. Read a chapter together. Ah, chapter, a whole chapter. I can't, yeah, read a whole chapter. Maybe you don't understand it all. Right, I don't understand it all. But we read it in the hopes that as we gather together in community, that we learn from each other by speaking the word to each other. And we grow. The scriptures are God's revealing word. Only in the infiniteness of inner relationship, in the connection of Old and New Testament, a promise and fulfillment, sacrifice and law, law and gospel, cross and resurrection, faith and obedience, having and hoping, will the full witness to Jesus Christ the Lord be perceived. Bonhoeffer. Good stuff. We must learn to know the scriptures again as, our, as the reformers and our fathers knew them. We must not grudge the time and the work that it takes we must know the scriptures first and foremost for the sake of our salvation. But besides this, there's ample reason that makes this requirement exceedingly urgent. How, for example, shall we ever attain certainty and confidence in our personal and church activity if we do not stand on solid biblical ground? It is not our heart that determines our course, but the word of God. Wisdom. And again, I have to thank Bonhoeffer and then my brother, because... I wouldn't have come up with that, right? Now the next thing we should do together. Number three, we should sing together. It is not you that sings. It is the whole church that sings. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ richly dwell with you as you teach and admonish each other, which we just talked about, with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your heart. 1 Corinthians 14.26 says, What then shall we say, brothers, when you come together, everyone has a psalm or a teaching. Song and word go together over and over again in the words. Song and word. Why? Why is that? Any, any ideas why song and word go together in Scripture? Why, why does God point that out? It's really simple. Because so far, all song is simplified word, and then it's our opportunity to say the word together. To sing it to each other is a, is a spiritually enlightening thing, but to be able to say the words together at the same time, to be able to raise our praise and the glory and the honor of God together, corporately, it, it binds us in that community. It binds us in a way that a person reading scripture can't do. It binds us because it literally ties us all together in one act at the same time, when we raise our voice in praise to God, uh, there's a Newsboys song, um, at least I think it's a Newsboys song, that talks about all God's children singing glory, glory, hallelujah, all at the same time, maybe millions of voices at the same time. It's one of my favorite things to think about on Sunday. So the Christian church, going all the way back past Constantine, or to about Constantine, maybe even a little before, the Christian church has met on Sunday morning at dawn roughly dawn. We Americans are a little late. That's okay. Um, but you think about this. There are 24 time zones all the way around the world. 
and there are Christians in every one of those time zones. And if they're all starting at roughly the same time, somewhere between 8 and 10, that means that for an entire 24-hour period, praise to God. Praise. 24 hours of praise. And we're a part of that. Think about that corporately. Think about that globally. And all of a sudden, it's really cool. We are, we're, we're a part of something that magnificent in honor and praise and to the glory of our God. All right, so now uh, the next thing. Pray together. Prayer is interesting. I was mentioning this to my wife the other day. Uh, prayer is the one thing in all of what we are given by God that is entirely and completely our own. We actually get to use our own words to express to him what we need, what we want, what we hope for, how we have um, hopes, fears, whatever. We get to use our words to communicate to God. But the great thing about community together is when we do it in intercession for each other, all of a sudden again we bind. And if we remember that we are all together in Christ, right, then my prayer for each and every one of you as individuals or as corporate is, is the prayer of a fellow sinner, redeemed, right? And so there's absolutely nothing then that you could do that should get in the way of my ability to pray for you because we're all sharing together in this grace, right? And so praying together becomes critical because prayer is the thing that reminds us, even in our own words, that we are all bound together in grace as we intercede for each other. Matthew 18, 20, where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am also. Romans 15, 5, and 6, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant to you live in such harmony with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now we get a little slightly more practical. Next one, work together. So, what does this mean? Do ministry together? Well, absolutely. But it also means actually work together. You got a project? Cool. Call, call your sibling. Have them come help. Uh, it may not be your project. I, I had a, a project that I had to finish that was not my project. It was my brother-in-law's project. He started building a deck for my in-laws. And then he couldn't finish, and I had to come finish the project. It wasn't my project, right? But, but it was. Because it was an act together with him to finish something as a gift for others. Uh, and I took it as an opportunity to encourage even more of my brothers in Christ to come and help me. And I called my buddy Zach, and I called my buddy Josh. And we together came, and we finished this deck. And we did it with Christian music blaring and smoking cigars. And by the way, I don't care. Smoking cigars, I do that. Um, we had a great time working together, encouraging one another, actually doing physical life together, right? Next one. Eat together. This one's my personal favorite. Eat together. This is actually in scripture. Check this out. This one's one of my favorite. Luke 24, 30 and 31. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave it, gave thanks, broke it and began to give to them. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And then he disappeared from their sight. Wait a sec, he disappeared. That's after the crucifixion. So it was in eating together that the disciples recognized who Jesus was. And why? Well, because that's how they knew him best. They're always together. And then he would sit down and he would break bread with them. They broke bread together all the time. 
And so then here he breaks the bread and they go, that's really Jesus. Eat together. Why? It's the one thing physically we all absolutely have to do. Eat and drink, right? Sharing that together is super intimate. I get to see your good habits and bad ones. Yeah, uh, you get to see mine. Uh, conversation that happens over food is always very interesting, right? It's, it's, uh, it's always more human. It's more real. Um, but it's the kind of thing that also brings a bond together with people. As we pursue each other, it's fellowship time. It's great time. But you know the other thing that it does is it sets us up for a couple things that are coming. It sets us up to be able to understand confession and communion because we're participating together in a meal. It's participation. We, we in the midst of that, can, can, we can approach each other with more openness and more honesty. And I think that's why we actually have an admonition in Scripture, eat together. Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. What are we doing this for? What are we hoping for? What is our hope in glory but to sit at the wedding feast? It's a banquet with our king. I, I, that meal, mm, it's going to be a good meal. Next one, number seven. And this one, for us evangelicals, and especially us modern American evangelicals, sounds difficult. Confess one to another. Confession is good for the soul, is it not? But what is confession? Do we need to go into a box with a priest and ask for absolution? Do we stand in front of a crowd of people and confess all the things that we've ever done? Do we confess in vagarities? I'm a sinner. Or do we actually speak to a person or a group of individuals and share intimately and honestly, this is the sin I struggled with this week. By the way, the sin I struggled with this week is pride and irritation. I am a proud man, and I get irritated at everybody who is stupid, and there are a lot of them. <laughs> Those are things that I carry, and they're sins that can get in the way and can separate me from, from God. Even though I'm redeemed, and even though I walk in grace and walk with faith, sin still blocks and gets in the way of my ability to speak to God and for him to speak to me. Sin is done in darkness, and we want to keep it in darkness. Sin is something we want to hide, and confession is like a spotlight. Confession is like flipping on the switch. All the roaches scatter, and then we can clean up the mess. Confession is the thing that takes away the power of sin because confession is the time where I can be open and honest with you and you can look at me and go, and in the name of Jesus, I forgive you. According to James chapter 5, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. 1 John 1, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and he will forgive us our sin and purify us of all unrighteousness. Bonhoeffer said something that was just incredibly profound in life together. And I, I found it, 
probably one of the most profound things as I read the book. He who is alone with his sin is utterly alone. Sin is a dungeon. Sin is solitary confinement because we have a tendency to try to protect and hold and hoard that thing that is so shameful and all the power we give it. But if we confess, really confess, one to another, we can be free. Now here's something interesting. Have you ever tried confessing to yourself and not somebody else? I have. And in confessing to myself and in confessing to God in prayer, I found no peace. Because even though I know in my head I'm forgiven, because the book says so, I'm not free from the sin. But when I confess to my brother, and in this case, in a particular case, I confessed an actual sin to my brother, Ryan. And from 1,500 miles away, as I am weeping, confessing a significant sin in me, I hear from the other side of the other, the other end of the world, it's okay, I forgive you. God forgives you too. And it's done. And that sin literally lost its power immediately couldn't hold me anymore because he knew it. So it doesn't hold me in chains. There's no dungeon because he's there. Super powerful and super important to community is the ability to confess. It's not easy. I totally understand that. And it is way outside our tradition. But I admonish you, find a brother or sister in Christ. Find somebody that you can actually speak to and that you can trust. It does not have to be any particular person other than somebody who shares in the grace of Christ with you. That's the only prerequisite. Hopefully it's somebody mature, hopefully it's somebody discreet, and hopefully it's not all Pastor Aaron, because the dude cannot possibly hold everybody's sin. (laughs) Right? But to each other and among each other, confess and let sin lose its power and let God's grace flow through each other as we hold each other up. And the last one, number eight, communion together. What is communion but the participation in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ? We participate together in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We heard from Pastor Wally a couple weeks ago that communion is something that we're supposed to do with, um, with real seriousness. And that we, we examine ourselves and we bring everything before God and repent. We just talked about that. That's the confession side. But think about communion also in that it is a participation at God's table. It's the table of mercy. Back to the eating thing. We're heading for a giant banquet, a giant feast. That's our goal. That's where God's taking us. And here we get a foreshadowing of that event. We get to participate in something that tells us of what's coming. We we do communion in remembrance, but the remembering is more than remembering what he did. That's great. He did it, and we can rest in that. But it's also remembering the promise he gave us about what's coming. And that's our glory, because 
That's his ultimate goal. We share in that. We participate in that. Take part in the blood and the body together. And watch how community grows. Next week, we have communion. So we're going to take an opportunity to do it a little differently. I encourage you all to be on time next week. I'm not going to share with you what exactly we're doing. What I'm going to say is it's going to be different. It's going to be largely based on what we're talking about here. And I want you to think about the possibility of confession sometime between now and next Sunday as you're dealing with things that are long hidden or forgotten or things that are current and right now, things that, things that get in the way of your ability to commune with God and commune with each other. Find somebody and confess. Spend some time with somebody this week in prayer, in the word. Gather together, have a meal. And come next Sunday prepared to do communion together in a new way, to do communion together in a community kind of way. In all these practical steps, we remember that Christ and the cross are at the center. We must all remember that it's his work that makes the community a reality, not our own. We must remember that it's his purpose, his will, his direction that leads us, not ours. Community, again, is not a something that I have to make. It's not a something that I'm trying to build. It's not something you guys should be trying to build. Community is already a reality, and we just have to participate in what God is doing. If you can remember that, that's a win. Worship team, if you guys want to come up. As you guys go out today, I admonish you to wait on the Lord and ask him to speak to your heart about where your place is in this community. I ask that you would let him reveal to you how you best fit, how you can be a part. Because the fact of the matter is every single person who is in this little community is brought here by God. You're here and you have a purpose here. We need your wisdom and, and, and experience and, and we need to see how God's grace works in you. And, and speaking as somebody on the younger side, uh, man, I, I need to see how God works in you so that as I'm raising my kids and so that I'm helping them mature into adults, that they do it in God's grace. Recognize that you're a part. Be ready to fully embrace each other as we do community and as we do communion. Grace and peace to you. Thank you.